Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Harminder, who was diagnosed with a heart condition when she was just 14 years old. They saw me as this sort of a, a superwoman or an eye woman um, that could just conquer life because my heart had stopped but then I'd come back again. So <laughs> they were like, she has risen. <laughs> <laughs> from the British Heart Foundation, I'm Molly Trezidin. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Harminda, who is now 25, talks to me about how growing up with a complex heart condition has affected everything from her education to her relationships, and why she now wants to support others living with invisible disabilities. Um, Harminda, you started showing symptoms of a condition from when you were just two years old. Could you talk me through some of the things that you remember from growing up with a heart condition? Yes. So when I was growing up, I often had symptoms where it felt like I was really dizzy and like the noises around me were changing. Like I couldn't hear properly and my uh, ability just to hold my body sort of just disappeared and I would just collapse and turn pale and my lips would go really blue and I'd get really dark circles around my eyes. And this would often happen without a trigger. And if there was a trigger, it's because I'd fallen or I've, I've hurt in myself, stress, or if it's too hot, or if I was unwell with the flu or something like that. So over the years, it sort of changed. But the collapsing got significantly worse the older I got. And it was apparent that puberty was actually making it a lot more aggressive because of the changes in my hormones. And when I got to about the age of 12, I was diagnosed with reflexinoxic seizures. And the only way we could really find that out was with the King of Heart monitors at the time, which is when you were sort of fitted with a 24-hour or a 72-hour heart monitor. And you just have little electrodes on your skin and they would sort of record your heart rhythm throughout that period of time. And that's when little things were getting picked up. But um, it couldn't get everything as well. That's why I also had an ILR recorder, which is sort of a 24-7 memory stick that got inserted inside of me um, near my heart. And that was a lot more helpful because it was recording my heart over a longer period of time and it was definitely scary because you don't know what you're sort of going through and to me it just felt very I guess it became my normal if anything but to the person looking at me it's a very scary experience because it looks like you're looking at someone who's you know not alive because they're so pale and and got blue lips and everything. And how often were you having these seizures? I think every few weeks when I was younger and it could be three times a week or it could be just once a month it would vary and I think it varied between the seasons as well because when the summer hit that's when I myself and my mum noticed my symptoms were a lot worse um, because the heat was a trigger for me and it's a lot more managed now um, compared to back back then because I think my hormones have settled over that period of time but when you're with reflexinoxic seizures when you're going through it the expectation is that you will grow out of it 
and that didn't quite happen. It just progressively got worse. And then when I did have the ILR recorder put in and I did have a seizure that was extremely massive, um, more than the others, when the recording was sent down the phone, because it allows you to do that, you can put a portable monitor on the outside of your skin and send the recording down the phone. And that's what we did after I had this seizure. And all of a sudden, we had all these phone calls from different doctors. And my main consultant, who was in America at the time, she said, we need to get you in, effectively, as soon as possible, because they could see my heart was stopping. Right. Um, So that was the moment when... So you'd kind of been going through your childhood and into your teens and you were having these seizures, but it was expected that this was something that you might grow out of. But that was the moment that it was realised that there was something going on with your heart. Yes, most definitely. They couldn't for years, they couldn't put their finger on it because it was one of those things that couldn't be fully recorded or captured at the time because the seizures were so random and you can't predict health in that in that shape or form. So, yeah. And so then what happened after after that major seizure? So it was actually my 14th birthday and we decided that we would go in the next day because the, the, the consultant wanted me to have a surgery for a pacemaker. That was always the last resort. Growing up, that was never being considered as an option. And when my consultant said... This is this is it. This is now the kind of the place that we're in with your health. It was a lot to deal with, I think, even as a kid. Yeah. Um, you you sort of going through this phase of just starting, I guess, GCSEs and like being with your friends and just having just being a kid, really. And then now suddenly you've been told that your heart had stopped for this period of time. And now you're going to have to have something that's going to keep you alive if you were ever to have another seizure like that ever again Mm, because Um, the pacemaker would be to stop your heart from dropping to a dangerously low rate yes that's right and it's something that's had to be figured out what heart rate it should be at at the time as well because obviously over over time your natural resting heart rate and things like that change I think when you get older and when it's younger it's a lot faster and everything and that's something that they were still figuring out was what settings they should have Mm. the pacemaker at and even when I did go into the hospital and I did have the operation there were still some complications even after because the settings weren't quite right that's still something that has to be figured out in the next phase of my life with the next pacemaker that I will be needing to get Mm -hmm. And can you take me back to to that appointment and when you were told that you'd need a pacemaker at the age of just 14, what was that like for you? It was scary, I think, more than anything, because I could see everyone else around me being very worried. The consultant had told my mum that in the night my heart was also stopping and it could stop for that second just too long. And without a pacemaker, there would be not enough time to stop that going any further. To me, I think also it was strange in a sense of it just felt like a seizure to me. When I had that particular episode that was so 
major, it didn't feel any different to the rest. If anything, it felt like very comfortable, um, even though my heart had stopped. When people told me that, I just, I just almost couldn't believe it. I didn't think that was actually what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was just concerned. I had family calling from all areas of the world and I had friends absolutely devastated because they, they thought something bad was going to happen. But um, I think I was just f- very much numb as well in that time. I didn't fully understand the gravity of the situation being so young. Mm. Um, but I also, over time, realised that it was a good thing because it, it saved my life, actually. Having that moment also saved me. It gave me a second chance in life to control my health in a way where I can live and live it properly. Mm, yeah, and and then bringing it to the present day, what um, how is your heart condition now, and how how are you doing day to day now? On the day to day, I'm a lot better now. It's so much more managed. If anything, I can almost predict when something could occur, and I say that in the sense of, for example, if I was to have a blood test or the flu or um, any sort of stress and preparing for different changes in weather, those sort of things I can actually prepare for. And where with vasovagal syncope, your heart does slow down, your blood pressure drops and things like that. So one thing I can manage is my blood pressure. And that means increasing salts. It means staying hydrated. It means also sleeping better as well and taking things a bit slower in the morning. For many people, it's quite natural just to get on with the day, but you always have to have that thing in the back of your mind where you need to make sure everything else is okay and you're feeling okay the moment you wake up. But yes, it's a lot more managed now. And I think my recent, my most recent episode was probably last year. And that's why my battery doesn't get used very much on my pacemaker. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot better, definitely. I think. It could be because the hormones are a lot more controlled as well. And I'm not entirely sure why it's better, but Mm. it is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you're still going to annual appointments to look after the pacemaker and to check up on it. And how do you find those? Yeah, so it's it's every year. And I think when I walk into an appointment, it's quite a surreal experience. And because people around you don't, really look like you you walk in and it's mainly males and a lot older as well I'm usually the youngest in the waiting room which is a very unique feeling and they must think that I'm there for another reason they must think I'm just training or becoming a nurse or something like that that's always (laughs) what I think in my mind yeah but then when I head to the the table that says pacing and I say I'm I'm here for my pacing appointment I could sort of feel the eyes on me a little bit um, Mm. because everyone's sunny from looking at the phone now looking up (laughs) Um, because they weren't expecting that actually to come out of my mouth. And I get that a lot, actually, if I do tell someone I have a pacemaker, they're like, you're very young to have this. Why do you have this? Um, I think it's just assumed that it's for an older person, but there are obviously different reasons as to why you would have one. It's just that it's not very known. And for me, it is very unusual 
even having it as well, I guess, in that in that respect. Because it's it creates a story, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's sort of a part of my life that I have to embrace as well and it and it can be a little nerve wracking. Mm. And do you find are you sort of having to constantly explain it to people? Yes, I th- I have to when people don't understand why I have to take things slower mm-hmm. or I have to do things a certain way because I think looking at me you wouldn't know there was anything going on um, and just because the pacemaker is there as a backup it doesn't mean other things aren't going on with the condition that I have um, because the pacemaker doesn't stop everything so it doesn't stop the symptoms that I can go through when I have a sort of a mini episode or a near miss, if you want to call it that. And is that, again, like a seizure, like when you come close to fainting? Yes. It's a unique experience because part of me feels like I would rather pass out fully. The near misses, I find, are actually the hardest to deal with because I'm, I can feel everything despite me not being able to do anything. And what I mean by that is that if I was to have a near miss now, then what I would go through is my throat would start closing in, my vision goes dark, I can't hear properly and I can't speak properly and everything hurts a little bit mm. on the inside and I, d- I have no control of my body. I would just fall on the floor, but I'm not fully unconscious, which is the strangest part. And each time it gets a bit harder, which is really weird, I suppose. Um, it's still something that I'm figuring out every time I do have one Mm. and yeah it doesn't get picked up on a pacemaker which is the other thing because the pacemaker I have is very general so it doesn't pick up all the syncope episodes that I do have whenever I do go to a pacing appointment. Mm. But that's something where hopefully in the future you'll be able to get a pacemaker that is more suited to you personally. Yes that's right Um, so over the time of these this 10 years I've had the pacemaker there's been more research now and on how to sort of advance the technology that's inside of them it's something that myself and my mum became aware of when we went to the house of commons for a parliamentary reception for heart charities there at the time and there was a particular uh, medical company that was there and they were showing how the pacemaker was sort of developing over time. They showed us a possibility of creating an algorithm in the next pacemaker that I have. And what that would mean is it would be more specific to the condition I have and it would have been able to pick up on my vasovagal syncope episodes, which is absolutely brilliant because I think the better research there is, on these things then there could be a wider understanding as to why I don't pass out fully now whereas I did before and are they missing anything where they where the pacemaker I have now doesn't pick up anything mm-hmm. so I think that's something to sort of keep in the back of your mind a little bit when it comes to going on the journey of getting a, a new pacemaker because there are now newer options and yeah, so that that's yeah. something I'm very excited about, but equally nervous because it's it's going to be a bit scary going through a surgery again. 
but it's always going to be part of my life so it's just something I have to mentally prepare for. Yeah because most younger people won't have really had to think about their health and is that something that you think has affected you emotionally growing up? Most definitely I if anything I think it's made me a very compassionate person. I am so aware when someone is not looking great or feeling great and I can tell I just I'm just better at picking up those social cues of perhaps when someone else is going through something difficult with their health Mm. um and when I do hear people talk about health or their heart health in particular then I find it easier to sort of connect with them and sort of give them advice be it asking for a referral or looking for perhaps a website that could point them in the right direction, like the BHF, for example. I think awareness is probably the key thing there. And when you're someone who's gone through it, it's easier to be that person who shares that information. It's definitely different in the sense of someone my age and even at the time when I had the pacemaker fitted is even considering those things because naturally it's a very, you know, it should be quite a personal experience growing up it's it's all about your friends and it's all about going out and it's, it should never be about you know thinking about your health in such a manner but I think it's a responsibility that I've had to take on from a younger age mm. and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing I just think it's made me more aware and probably taken a bit of innocence away from that part of my childhood but yeah it's definitely given me more responsibility Mm. And what was it like? I mean, this having the seizures and having all of those symptoms, it must have affected things like what it was like to go through school. Yeah, most definitely. I, gosh, I could remember just having to be at home constantly. And it was my grandparents who would take care of me. I really wasn't able to go in because the facilities weren't available for me if I was to be unwell Mm. Um, in the particular school I was in at the time they just couldn't do health and do education together and it's really such a shame because what it did was it affected key developmental years for me and it just slowed my rate of learning it slowed my rate of socializing and it just it made me feel really alienated and it gave me a sense of loss if anything, because I was constantly catching up and never having a full holistic education experience. It it was always tampered with, per se. And you do feel sort of, not anger, I wouldn't say anger, but you feel kind of like a frustration, like, why don't I get to be there? Particularly as, you know, there was no resources to even take home at the time. You know, um, the internet, really was just not even a thing for me back then the access to it was a lot less and the teachers weren't even using things like that so I if I missed a lesson then I missed it completely and catching up it's just it gave another stress as well to my health but it also gave another stress to my family for feeling bad that I'm not getting the education that everyone else is it did mean making different decisions as well with schooling and instead of hoping for the best and where I was predicted such poor grades and probably not 
even going to have the opportunity to go to university or even get through A-levels, I think it was time to take back control, essentially, because even though this particular school couldn't deal with it, it, doesn't, it didn't mean other schools couldn't. And from speaking to other parents who have children who go through health conditions too, they've also taken the option to sort of pay for education. So it's something that we decided to look at as a family, if that could be an option for me, just so one, I could feel like I was a normal child in a normal environment and not be at home all the time, mm. but also to actually start seeing my potential in myself because it affected my confidence. I I didn't have any, really. I was so shy and I was so nervous yeah. as well because you're not socialising in that environment. Mm. And, and going into private education, which was what was decided in the end, meant that I could be at school. And that was also possible because there was a school nurse and she took the time to work with my heart hospital, which is the Royal Brompton, and to liaise with the cardiac liaison nurse and sort of work on a care plan for me of how, if anything was to happen at school, then these would be the steps that any teacher could take or, you know, someone in the, in the proximity of me could take on as well, just to make sure I was okay. And then they knew what they were doing as well made me so happy because what it showed me was is that if people are just a little bit educated about health then you can be at school you can thrive and I did thrive and I got all my GCSEs I managed to get into a grammar school for my A-levels and then from that I was able to go to university as well and it just made me feel more confident about my health and my heart's health overall because I felt like I could finally embrace it and it wouldn't mm. be a problem anymore yeah because I guess there was a sense of you know in that first school feeling like your health was an issue for everybody and yeah definitely definitely because I was just considered a risk more than anything and I had to not be take part in certain activities as well so it meant not going on to school trips and it meant not going away effectively because it was difficult for them to take care of me so that's also what made me feel you know it made me feel different overall is because that's how my life was played out I wasn't forced to feel different I wasn't yeah. forced to feel included and I think there could have been steps for that to have changed but there wasn't any desire to do that and it really stunted that part of my life as a result and it got to the got to the point where they thought I had a learning disability and I don't have a learning disability. It's just that it's going to take me a lot longer because I haven't been in school in the, in the same way as others. So it's just, I think when it comes to heart health or any sort of disability that's invisible, then I think there needs to be wider steps to sort of ask from the beginning of the academic year, what do you need? What, what sort of things might come your way? And then they can prepare and then I can prepare too. So, yeah. And what was it like when you did start making friends and, and how did people like your classmates react to your condition? <laughs> well, actually, it's funny you talk about that. I think the first reaction when I changed schools and gone into a private school that I went to, the, the reaction was that I was some sort of iron woman 
and <laughs> I never, <laughs> I never sort of thought about it that way. They saw me as this a sort of a, a superwoman or an eye woman um, that could just conquer life because I my heart had stopped, but then I'd come back again. So <laughs> they were like, "She has risen." <laughs> <laughs> so that's a totally different way of of framing it to how you must have felt yeah. before when it felt like a burden. A hundred percent. If anything, it gave me that sense of joy with the condition because I, I felt like it was like an invisible cloak that I had that I could go in with and think, yeah, you know what? I've, I've, con- I've conquered not being alive, essentially, <laughs> um, and coming back. So come at me, I suppose. Yeah, A-levels are <laughs> like, less scary now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A-levels are less scary now. And, and that's right. And in addition to that is that you're given this second chance in life. And I think that it's the way you choose to frame it, I suppose, is what's really important. Before, I, I was forced to feel different, but this time I was allowed to embrace it. And I think that is something that can never be taken away from me. And I think I will always be grateful for that experience as a result. And if if I can inspire someone and be called an iron woman, then that's great as well. <laughs> and so... Yeah, definitely. And was that kind? Was that the start of you then, kind of feeling better about it and feeling more able, like you were able to look after your health? Yeah, definitely. I felt I could take part in things, and I I put myself forward for a lot more. Like, uh, for example, I took on cadets, and that's something that I never <laughs> thought I would be able to take on at all because mm-hmm. it's so high energy it's so much you know there's so much that could happen with that um in terms of risk and everything but the teachers would just watch me cautiously and they'd put they would put this white ribbon on my um my rucksack just to know just to see me in the in in the in the background just to know which one I was out of everyone so they could just keep an eye on me Mm. and that was a great feeling because I could just be myself but there was just this one little thing that said I'm a bit different just take a bit more care Mm. so it definitely pushed me to do a lot more things and it gave me a confidence that I never ever had before and it's growing every day even now even though that time of my life has passed and I'm in a different phase of my life that confidence is still growing and it's still something I have to embrace because of other difficulties that have come into my life because not everyone understands health very well. Mm. Once you leave school, you're now faced with dealing with workplaces and people who've not seen you in that school environment and relationships and things like that. There's a lot of other things that I didn't actually anticipate after that particular phase of my life with with that um so that's still something that I'm having to acknowledge and still accept that it's not me it's just other people are are unaware of my condition and what that could mean for them as well Hmm. has it affected things like romantic relationships 100% because for the most part I look so normal from the outside I look like there is nothing you know there's nothing going on at all so you could say I've had a broken heart in more ways than one it has been very difficult because for the most part in this particular romantic relationship I was perfectly fine for that period of time that relationship 
had lasted. And it was only towards the end that I got really poorly from a particular experience abroad. And there was a worry that it would affect my heart health as well. Mm. And I could just see like the fear and the anxiety that that person had with what that could mean. And I think what was hard was because even though I told them this is the kind of things that you're going to have to anticipate might come your way and these are the steps that you need to do, I think nothing can ever prepare you for the real thing. Hmm. Um, When I've, as I've dealt with it my whole life, as well as my mum, it's very different for us. It's the first reaction is, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Let's do this. But for someone who's had the best of you that whole time, and then suddenly you're poorly. I think the the reaction was so different because they don't know how to deal with it effectively. And I think that has a lot to do with perhaps living in an able-bodied society. I think health, when it's invisible, like vasovagal syncope or you know any sort of heart health and beyond, then I think there's an illusion that society is able and able to do all these things without consequences it's it's very much not the case and it came to the point where it became a problem for them and I think that was the hardest thing to deal with because despite heart health there also comes mental health as well because you're dealing with two aspects there your physical side and the emotional side and I felt like I had to help them even though I was the one going through the issues Mm. um, at the time. And this is probably going to be the hardest thing I've ever had to say out loud. But I was told, you're just too much baggage. And I don't think I've been able to deal with that very well for a long time because it made me feel like I shouldn't embrace the health that I have you can't choose the cards that you're given in life and health can come at any time. It doesn't stop just because it's me or the next person. It can happen to any one of us. And I think, I think the pandemic is testament to that. It can Mm. hit anyone. Yeah. That's such an awful thing for anybody to say. And I'm sure that in the future you are going to find somebody who sees you as superwoman. (laughs) You don't know how much that means to me because I think it just it made me stop loving who I was and it it actually contributed a lot to my depression that I'd went through because I realized my heart health is always going to be an issue for someone because they don't understand it and it's going to be too scary for someone to deal with and as a result of that my mental health got really impacted. Mm. and it's like I almost can't even forgive them for that but I I have to move forward and accept that perhaps it it was just them having perhaps a sheltered life or just not wanting a different kind of life one that was able-bodied was I think it seemed probably the easier option but what I have is compassion and a better understanding and I think I think that's something to be said rather than just having, I don't know, maybe like, I think difference is good. <laughs> <laughs> I needed someone just to be strong 
as well. Yeah. Rather than yeah. it being the other way around. It's it's not a nice feeling having to hold someone else when you're the one going through it. And I think that's why I believe it's so important we're doing stuff like even this talk today. It's just for someone who has to go through heart health really young, there's so many more phases in my life that I have to go through. And that mm. means making the next person aware. Because if I was a lot older, it'd be different. I wouldn't live my life already. But now I'm having to go through all these things. And there just has to be someone who understands that and has been exposed to different health conditions. And in this case, a heart condition. So, yeah, definitely. It's yeah, been hard to do. There absolutely will be. <laughs> thank you. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I am positive about that. Oh, thank you. And... I mean, you've talked about your compassion and you've talked about wanting to help other people. And this kind of leads us really nicely on to talking about you started an online platform to yeah. help other young women who are in a similar situation to you. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so really it's a, it's a reflection of my life a little bit as well, because everything I've gone through has sort of got me to this point of realising I can't be the only girl that has been through this themselves like alone you know their whole lives too and whether it's school or romantic relationships or workplaces if you're dealing with health young then all these phases of life are very much going to be alone unless we start connecting people um, and in this case girls with each other so I I really put my passion and my heart into helping girls who are newly diagnosed, be it heart or any other invisible disability, with girls who are who already have the same condition, the same diagnosis, and have lived a life with it already, and to connect them together effectively and just to create a support system. Because I never had that growing up, not properly, not from the beginning, and it should be there. So the platform's called A Girl After My Own Heart. And that's where, you know, you, you can find role models, essentially, who have the same diagnosis as you. And it's something that I'm currently developing on the platform itself. And it will be a fantastic opportunity to meet like-minded people and people who look like you. And rather than feeling like when you walk into the waiting room, there is nobody that looks like you. That is a really hard feeling to deal with. And to make health a bit more social as well is really important because when you're isolated from able-bodied friends or you know in in a workplace and things you you need something that you can come back to and say you know what it's it's okay if they don't understand yet but at least there is something in the meantime that can connect us with other girls and my dream would be to have it as a form of social prescribing because I think health definitely needs to become a lot more social there's so many of us who go through similar things and the stories that I've heard so far um, just from the social media side and working with a few girls already and listening to them, you know, they have so much advice and so many resources that they've used and that could help someone else very quickly who's struggling to find the right direction. And it's about empowerment and it's about education and creating that awareness is just, it's beautiful because it creates connection and I think the more connected we are the, the bigger the tribe we have the bigger community we have as well and there'll be less loneliness less anxiety less 
um, mental health issues overall. Because I think where we've become so individual and we're starting to lose a sense of identity because we're not like everybody else. But we, we're fine just the way we are. Like, we are society. That's what society looks like. Um, differences, you know, heart health or beyond that. That's okay. That's completely normal. It's just it needs to get represented better. So this really is a space for that. And unfortunately, the pandemic has stunted a few things because I would like it to be a space where we can meet up in real life and you can actually start to meet girls and or meet myself and have just a, a fun time and just leave your health at the door for a day and just be who you are and create a sense of identity beyond your invisible disability. Um, so, yeah, that's really what A Girl After My Own Heart is about. And it will come into that in its own time as well while it's still growing. Um, yeah because it's very recent still yeah yeah that sounds fantastic and you talked about sort of linking people up so that they can give advice what advice might you give to somebody who had a condition like yours oh that's a really good question I think the main response I would give is to start trusting that you're going to figure this out and it would be the fact that there is help and I would give them advice of the resources that I had available, particularly be it the hospital that I went to. I think that's very important because it's a specialist hospital. And rather than sort of keeping health general, I think it does need a, it needs to be looked at more holistically. And in terms of dealing with the episodes that you go through, I think it's just to keep the love around you, keep the people who you know will take care of you let them actually do that as well and don't be worried um, there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're having an episode because I think that's also the other thing where it could happen so randomly and in front of anyone there's a lot of embarrassment I guess that comes with that like I remember I had an episode in primary school and it was in front of all my friends and I remember being so embarrassed but they actually embraced me. And because of that, it made me feel a lot closer to them. So just start to realise who is actually taking care of you and who makes you feel appreciated in all of that. And in terms of education as well, just ask for resources and tell teachers that, you know, these are the sort of things that you're going through, just so they can prepare, even if that wasn't an option originally. Yeah, definitely. I think those sort of the things that I would advise and in for relationships is just to be yourself to the girl who's listening to this right now there is nothing wrong with you and you're amazing just the way you are and it it, it is a matter of them not being aware about your condition properly and how to deal with it but that's really not on you you have to take care of yourself more than anything it's not about taking care about everybody else around you um, and that's something I've definitely had to come to terms with myself so it's okay to go through these differences from other people it's fine you're perfect just the way you are thank you so much Arminda for sharing all of that and um we'll put a link to your platform in the show notes so anybody who is listening can head there and hopefully find somebody who's maybe been going through something similar thank you 
Thank you so much. You can find out more information on heart conditions like Harminder's at bhf.org.uk and the link to A Girl After My Own Heart will be in the episode notes. Remember, if you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, you can call the BHF Heart Helpline and speak to a nurse between 9 and 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300-330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. Thank you for listening and join us next time on The Ticker Tapes. <laughs>